1: Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. Our subject for today's show has a few ingredients that make it really right up our alley here on Punching Out. Um, We have a story of low-wage workers organizing against, effectively, a corporate behemoth. We have a local angle with this story taking place just down the road in Buffalo. And we have that special sauce that I like to call executive weirdness. We're going to be talking today about the effort underway at some Buffalo area Starbucks stores to unionize those stores, which would mark the first time that any Starbucks location has successfully unionized. This is a massive chain that um, in one of the articles we read in preparation for this episode uh, is referred to as the second largest fast food chain behind only McDonald's. I think you could quibble with uh, the definition of fast food. It feels weird to include
2: Starbucks in that category, but I guess technically they are. Um,
3: Especially when you wait in the drive through for 30 minutes.
2: I'm glad that we're having this discussion right up front because I was reading that kind of mystified. It, it feels like Starbucks wouldn't want you to classify it as fast food.
1: Right, right. Especially they think of themselves as something much bigger and better than that. Um, you They're know, a which... lifestyle company. Right. Which, you know, so many companies like to think of themselves as a lifestyle now. And it's almost never good that they do that, but they do it anyways.
3: On the other hand, it's convenient to uh, categorize themselves as a fast food company in this context, because then they can play to the angle of, oh, our workers don't need that much because they're just fast food workers, which is inherently untrue. Um, but it, it does is an angle that they can absolutely take to their own advantage.
1: Presumably they can then draw comparisons between themselves and the rest of the fast food industry, which is also famously ununionized for almost the entire sector. Um it's famously low wage work, it's you know and in some respects, Starbucks is probably at the high end as far as a working experience in that industry, if you want to classify them in that industry. Nevertheless, workers at you know, some stores in Buffalo have decided that this uh is all well and good, but they still would like a union. They still would like collective power as opposed to just uh the magnanimity of Starbucks executives. I, I How guess they? the question How dare to they lead off this discussion is You know, why would they want anything more than what Starbucks is offering them? What's so bad about working at Starbucks?
3: How dare people even dream? Like, really, what what do they expect?
2: So there were a couple main things in the articles that we read in preparation. One big one is that, uh, yes, the you know the company has made efforts to install a wage floor and things like that but senior employees people who have been with the company 10 20 years make barely more than people who've been there a year or 4 months and uh obviously that's you know it's not great uh you're you're working a job for 20 years you would hope that you receive some kind of compensation if people newer to the job are Able to get in on a higher floor, that should be because everybody is rising up. Because, shall we say, a tide is lifting all the boats, but the older boats are not getting lifted nearly as much as they should be. This metaphor is foundering. Anyway, so you've got that. You've got the fact that these are customer service workers. And as we've said a million times on this show, it doesn't matter where you work, if you work in a customer se- facing capacity, You are lucky to, number one, be alive, and number two, not be injured at this point in your life, because American customers are practically undomesticated at this point. I I can think of a few other adjectives to describe them. And in particular, during the pandemic, they took advantage of, you know, um, just how completely unwilling businesses were to enforce even the most basic mitigation measures with the result that if you're a Starbucks barista, there, there's like a non-zero chance that somebody has spit in your face in the last year and a half. Somebody who knows they have COVID too. So, you know, that, that's the environment you're working in or, my, or fear that you might be working in. That's not great for anybody.
1: Right. If you've listened to our episodes in recent months about, uh, you know, customer service and about, um, you know, the issues that, uh, front facing employees have faced under the pandemic when, you know, just in trying to keep customers masked or trying to enforce, uh, vaccination requirements, some of these stories will be familiar, but it's happening at Starbucks too. You know, even if, uh, that clientele might think of themselves as something different. Uh, you know, you're getting into the same issues of employees not having any real authority over customers who believe themselves to be uh, reincarnated versions of Louis Fourteenth when it comes to this sort of thing.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there is definitely a like snobbery to the uh, Starbucks clientele that you don't really get in a lot of other, you know, fast food industries as, as they like to be called in this particular instance. Um, but the weirder part is, you know, like there's nothing more Karen like in the behavior of like somebody who goes to Starbucks frequently are more of a Karen than anything else uh, you can possibly imagine. They, like uh, The possibility of doing any of that is just ridiculous.
1: There's a there was a uh, photo that went around Twitter a couple weeks back uh, that is sort of just incredible. It's a sign that was up in one of these Starbucks locations that is trying to unionize and it displays the uh, behaviors they expect from the employees that they deem partners. That's their special term for workers at Starbucks. Every company has one of these terms now. At Starbucks, the workers are called partners. Like they're working at a law firm, when in fact they are low paid and you know not given any sort of ownership over how things are done
2: um, whoa, 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 whoa! excuse you under the bean stock program which is spelled s-t-o-c-k not s-t-a-l-k as you would normally assume with beans uh they are given shares of starbucks stock so they do have equity in the company uh mind you it's like a millionth of a percent equity but 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 stock they they're given some also beanstalk
3: like the thing famously made uh imaginary and everyone's like yeah whatever dude
2: yeah anyway (laughs) just just wanted to make sure we correct the record here
1: this sign is filled with the sort of rhetoric that we're used to on this show by now from companies of um how employees are supposed to act around customers uh, with the best employees making it so that every customer has the best part of their day at the Starbucks location, which how low do you think your customers are that the best part of their day is getting coffee? There's, There's got to be... Like, that's just a wild expectation to have.
3: I mean, Starbucks, is it is from... Seattle, aka the place, uh, the birthplace of grunge. So there, I guess they do have an atmosphere of general ennui and and distrust. I don't know. Noah's about to tell me I'm wrong. Can't wait.
2: No, that's just a. uh, I'm the one usually making the like uh, psychological insights on to justify things on punching out. But sure, let's say that that's true.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I think uh,
2: go for. Obviously, it's
3: not. Obviously that's not their goal or anything. Their goal is to just basically have a setup to where if, if you make any mistake or anybody ever yells at you, well then you just didn't try hard enough, frankly, you barista, uh who had to make a venti whatever the 30 ounce drink is that's ninety seven percent sugar with whipped cream on top.
2: We're gonna get yelled at by a friend of ours who likes Starbucks coffee next. First cereal, <laughs> start now Starbucks. We're just taking everyone down. They all make trash. All of them are garbage. Anyway, no, it's one of these things where it can't fail. It can only be failed. You cannot, a customer can never be wrong. A customer can never have a meh experience. It has to be lights out all the time. You have to like walk in and walk out on cloud nine. And again, if over the last year, if you're in any kind of public facing position, I mean that that's been the call. It, it that's the yes and school of service. That's the whole insistence that companies now have because the thing is they realize that on one end, the the labor market is, well, all of these articles that we read talk about how workers have more power now because of a tight labor market, um, which is interesting because I'm, I'm pretty sure what they mean is nobody wants to pay workers, so they're not taking bad jobs, which is not so much a tight labor market as a capital strike, which I still don't understand why we let capital have the word strike. I think we call that a lockout in everything in every other industry. Um, But because of that, right, the people who are left behind, the people who have to work and uh, don't want to take their chances, don't want to risk it, They're being constantly told you have to make every experience the absolute best possible because otherwise, I don't even know. It's not like you're going to lose customers at this point. You lose customers for like making a statement in favor of black people not suffering from police brutality. That's the only thing that can lose you somebody coming in to get coffee at this point. There's not much you can really do.
1: The heading on this sign is, is every partner creating a plus two environment for every customer? There's uh, four rankings on this chart uh, from negative one to plus two. And just to give you a sense, here's what zero entails. Partner mindset. Distracted. All partners are smiling. (laughs) Yes. All partners are smiling and making eye contact. Crafting and serving only the highest quality products. Speedy service. These are all good things, but it's only a zero by Starbucks standards. You have to do above and beyond that in order to reach
2: plus two Nirvana.
3: You have and, to do Oh the Nirvana, fabric of space nice time.
2: Seattle reference. Huh. I, I also like I you know that there's at least one person in every single store who's like going full NBA stats nerd and calculating the plus minuses of every partner.
3: Yeah, I was going to say we're going to do some D&D character building.
2: Well, the person in that
1: store is usually a manager, probably, unfortunately. It's it's not a <laughs> oh, customer. It's, oh and these days know, it's in Buffalo, the it's... analytics guys in the front office. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, and and I'm sure that these days it's well, in Buffalo it's apparently like more of that later, but it's apparently like four managers. So great. How many managers does it take to calculate the proper partner mindset?
1: <laughs> partner mindset just a to- Wonderful collection
2: uh, of words. That's that's uh, every. It, it, can we retire the word mindset? I think that's. I think that's the thing we need to focus on here.
3: I want to know. We here on th-
1: punching out are officially canceling the term mindset. Uh, no more mindsets. We're done. Just Your minds.
3: mindset stop. All
1: right. Um, I do want to. Quote a bit from Starbucks workers themselves in this segment. I want to talk about what their concerns are You know, directly. I'm going to read a bit from an In These Times article by Hamilton Nolan that was published near the end of August. He quotes Brian Murray, who has been at Starbucks for four months, making $15.50 an hour. Quote, it was great a couple of years ago before $15 was the minimum wage, he says, Riley. I think this is the logical conclusion of Fight for 15, forming a union. Gianna Reeve, who has worked at Starbucks for nearly a year, makes 19 an hour plus tips as a supervisor. But she notes that a coworker who has been with the company for 17 years makes less than a dollar per hour more than her. Workers emphasize that, in contrast to the trope that coffee shops and fast food stores are staffed mostly by students or part-timers, a large portion of employees at Starbucks are working to support themselves and would like to make it more of a stable career. They want that progression. They want that career development, but it's become difficult, Reeve said. Though she acknowledges that Starbucks offers benefits that are good in the context of coffee shops and fast food, quote, other businesses are catching up. Hmm. And, you know, it should be, I, I think we should pause here to say that it's okay for uh, even workers who are doing well within their industry to unionize. When we talked about uh, the John Deere strike a few weeks back, you know, John Deere workers are making a comfortable middle-class salary for the most part. Right? I think the average salary there was cited as something like $60,000 a year. And so there can be an instinct on some to say, well, they don't have it so bad. What do they need to go on strike for? What do they need to unionize for? But as we try to re- reiterate on punching out, Almost every episode, even workers who have it good deserve collective power.
2: Number one and number two. So the the flip side of this is what's often used to argue against paying fast food workers a living wage, which is, well, if you pay the person working at McDonald's $15, then you, you know, what are you going to pay the person at the better restaurant or whatever? I don't, this is always a crap argument. Let's be real clear. It never makes any real sense if you examine it. But let's accept for the moment that it's true. I, I recently learned this term from uh, punching out contributor Gene Allen. Let's steel man this argument. And the thing about what? it is, if we, it's the opposite of a straw man. Anyway, point I being, see. if we accept that as being true, right? Here's the thing when workers who are doing well, do better within their industry, achieve collective power, get paid better, get better benefits, that en- that does in fact end up trickling down to other businesses who then feel the need to catch up to attract labor. I've said this before, but I'm I work at the non-union version of a job that is normally union. And we what have job with that. Oh, be? oh, now you're joining in on this.
0: And <laughs> I have been repeatedly to
2: told by management. That the reason we have the pay and the benefits that we have, which are much worse at other non-union workplaces of this type in this county, is because of the unions around us. Because they don't want to lose people. I mean, now they don't care because what else are we going to do? But it used to be that they would say, no, we're trying to give you kind of the median union pay and benefits because we recognize that. Around here in Monroe County, there are very strong teachers unions.
3: There it is. We got it.
1: 17 minutes, 30 seconds by my count. Oh, I had 28. Wow. We should note, this is not the first time that workers have attempted to unionize Starbucks. Uh, There was an effort made by the industrial workers of the world uh, back in the 2000s, uh, that decade, not that millennium, that ultimately did not succeed in unionizing any stores at Starbucks, but it did produce workers who carried that sort of um and I'm gonna cancel myself here, mindset with them to jobs after Starbucks. Um quoting from the In these Times article No certified unions resulted from the effort, but it did earn a good deal of bad publicity for the company, particularly when they fired a vocal pro-union employee named Eric Foreman and were then forced to rehire him. Foreman, a lifelong labor activist, is now one of the co-founders of the Driver's Co-op in New York City, a ride-sharing cooperative that aims to take on Uber and Lyft. There's sort of that synergy, that uh, solidarity between industries that you're seeing in that one particular example that I, I think is something that we should always reflect on.
2: Is, is this man also played by Topher Grace is my main question.
1: See, see I thought you were going to make a note of how his last name is Foreman and that just lends itself is, to organizing.
2: That does it? I would have thought, isn't a Foreman usually a manager? I'm thinking of union formants, but I don't know. Oh, okay. I, so that's on me for not knowing that that term is used in yes. that context. So yes, nominative determinism strikes again.
3: Very thoroughly. I'm very proud of you.
2: That's what everyone wants on this radio show. That's what millennials want.
3: What millennials wants. Pun that's analytics. Right. Maybe Starbucks should put that on their, their chart thing. You have to do a certain number of puns per hour in order to score high enough.
2: Your PPH.
1: <laughs> I I think Starbucks employees are getting into enough trouble for how they handle uh, names and, uh, you know, wordplay along those lines.
2: And, and how yeah. many customers <laughs> insist that they put, uh, what was it, that they put Donald Trump on their Starbucks cup for some reason?
1: That, that feels like a thousand years ago.
2: It does, but my point is that Starbucks workers have been living in hell for a lot longer than the pandemic, really, when it comes down to it. It's just that the pandemic sort of brought, like it did with everything else, obviously, but it brought all those issues to the fore. Uh, Lou, I think you mentioned that you possibly patronized a local Starbucks and that they were missing a good deal of their inventory due to these nebulous supply chain
3: issues. Yes, exactly that. Like they didn't have pumpkin spice latte, you know, the signature drink of fall, which is bizarre. It was November Ugh. 1st. What happened? I didn't really care that much. I just, I, I, okay, you tangent. Didn't. Yes, I, tangent. I feel that Starbucks is like the Yankees of the coffee world for oh, a Jesus. lot of reasons. <laughs> but Go the- on.
2: <laughs> please per- please proceed, Governor.
3: <laughs> yes, the particular reason that I do not like Starbucks or Yankees God. is because oh, God <laughs> like. The Yankees, the Starbucks have gone minimalist with their things. So because the Yankees do not put player names on their uniforms, the Starbucks menu is not complete. It doesn't even have all the flavors on it. So I don't know what I'm doing. And it's exclusionary. And you can only actually enjoy it if you're an insider. And that is bad. Let's cancel it. Unless they unionize, in which case I might forgive them.
2: Well, I don't. I don't think you have to forgive the company if they unionize because... Again, we're going to get into it, but they're they're not really letting that happen.
1: No, they aren't. We should note that there's a, a sort of heritage when it comes to uh, coffee shops unionizing in the Buffalo area. Uh, Spot Coffee, which is headquartered in uh, Buffalo, recently uh, saw some of its locations unionize. Um, we know some of the people who are involved in that effort in recent years. Um, it was very inspiring to see that happen at a coffee shop, a place that, you know, Sort of famously was stereotyped as being ununionizable, if that's a word. It is, it is now. It is now. Um, Nailed it. You know, and some of the Starbucks workers quoted in these articles explicitly cite what happened at Spot as inspiration for their efforts. You know, they said, "Those guys are unionizing. Why not us? You know, that could be us."
2: Unions. I've seen what you've done for other people, and I want them for me. It, no, it. <laughs> I know that we've been kind of going all over the place in this first segment, but I mean, there are only so many ways you can belabor the point that they want what everybody else wants. They want better paying benefits, even if they have it okay. And one thing that strikes me in particular is the mention that what they want is to be able to be a barista as a stable career, because of course... The fact that it's not supposed to be a stable career is one thing that's brought up as to why you don't need a living wage, why you don't need a union, why you don't need benefits, because this is supposed to just be a stepping stone on the way to something better. But there are people out there who enjoy it. There are people out there who want to do it or who would at least not mind doing it if it paid well and had good benefits and had stability and advancement, and all the things that make a job good. And the fact that you have that every company says that they want that from their employees. Well, Starbucks has that and is refusing to take advantage of that fact. They're exploiting the workers that they have, but they could, they could let them unionize and maintain that workforce, maintain a core of highly engaged Workers, but they are choosing not to because they don't actually care. Those are not, that's how you know they're not partners.
1: Yeah. As we're going to get into in the second segment of today's show, uh, Starbucks' actions do not mesh with their progressive rhetoric on this issue, among many others. And I, I think after this break, we can explore what exactly they've done in response to this organizing effort. It's not good. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to Punching Out on W-A-Y-O-L-P Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: welcome back to punching out I'm Ryan joined still by Noah
2: still hi y'all
1: and Lou hey guys we spent the first segment talking about the unionization effort underway at Starbucks and we discussed it primarily in terms of what it is that the workers want out of unionization you know they want the things that that listeners of punching out will be very familiar with by now you know they want stability they want better pay better conditions better protection against um customers and their um, abusive language and uh, resistance against abuse Abusive
2: conduct.
1: All of the above.
3: Shenanigans.
1: If you've listened to Punching Out over the past year, you'll be very familiar with this sort of stuff. What makes Starbucks sort of unique in this regard though, and again, there will be echoes of other incidents in all of this, is that you know this is a massive corporation with a bunch of highly powered executives that are extremely willing to drop whatever they're doing to show up in Buffalo and try to quash any effort at unionization. Um, the response to this effort at Starbucks has been really fascinating to watch. It has taken on a number of different, um, levels and each one seemingly weirder than the last. Um, Probably the first thing that caught my eye, and this was a couple of months ago now, was that uh, major executives within the company were showing up at stores to like sweep the floors and uh, do menial tasks, presumably in an effort to show that you know we're all a family here. We're, we're all willing to chip in. This doesn't have to be some sort of adversarial relationship. Why would you want
2: that? Which to me is all I can think of is that they, and you know this, you know they did a terrible job at those menial tasks because they haven't had to do them, if at all, in decades. So that was problem number one. Problem number two, if a top executive for your company that you are unionizing against shows up to clean the floor, they are spying. That's what they're actually doing. And to be fair, some top executives were kind of upfront about it. They were apparently working on their laptops in front of the baristas because, I don't know, they wanted to be seen patronizing the store. Or they would, uh, one of them got interviewed briefly, uh, I don't remember which article it was, While standing behind a bunch of trainees like a human shield. Because that's what you do when you know you're winning the fight is you, you put a bunch of people in front of you between you and the journalist.
3: Yeah, and I mean, there's nothing that says quite like you're one of the just the regular guys when your commute is an airplane and your hotel is expensed by the company. Totally the same experience. Nothing different whatsoever. I
1: do wonder if they put on the green aprons and like donned the black you know shirts, if they went all that way or if they... Did all this stuff in their expensive suits
2: oh some of them probably did because i mean again we live in a country that and and this is going to become a theme in this uh, uh segment but we live in a country that has no idea how to hold anybody to any standard like the bar for everything is low as hell and what you're gonna end up having is some of these executives thought, oh, I'll impress everybody if I put the green apron on and the black shirt and whatnot. And then everyone will be shocked. I mean, when they hear about this, I'm going to look like a hero. And some executives were probably like, I'm not doing that. I'll I'll wear the suit and stand behind and work on my laptop so that everybody knows I'm spying here. So I'm, I'm betting it was case by case, because God knows nothing about this union response has been not just sensical, but like none of it has been evidence that there's a higher plan at work beyond just don't let them unionize. There's not like an actual direction that these efforts are going in. It's just kind of a shotgun approach.
1: There's a a lot of tactics, very little in terms of strategy that's apparent. Um, Because even like as a token gesture of goodwill, this effort seems very transparent. Like, it's very obvious what they're doing and why they're doing it, even if you take them at their word that they're just trying to help out. And as, as you pointed out, Noah, that hasn't always been their word. You recognize when somebody is trying to make up for something, when somebody is trying to uh, apologize for something that you haven't necessarily said they did. Um, you know, you can tell when people are putting on an act.
3: Yeah, it, it's very true that the 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 sincerity is is very skin deep. I would imagine with these guys because if they had their way, they would never have to set foot in Western New York, especially to deal with something as uh, annoying as, to put it bluntly, uppity baristas. Uh, don't cancel me, <laughs> but it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what else are they going to do, though? Like they have this, this could very well be the sign of, of bigger things to come, which we can talk about later and everything. But you you definitely get the sense that they're trying to do as little work in doing anti-union work as possible so as not to actually show that it, they are afraid. And
1: naturally, this has not just stopped at, you know, executives showing up to you know, wash the floors. This has also taken the form of more standard, uh, just sort of legal ease, stalling and trying to wriggle through NLRB rules until they find one that benefits the company. Uh, for ex- instance, they tried making it so that the union election would take place at every store in the Buffalo area, and the unionizing workers successfully, you know, managed to get it so that the election will only take place at the stores that these workers want it to take place at, which presumably will be a more um, welcoming audience for the union.
2: Mm. Yeah. The Starbucks was trying just to get a sense of the numbers. Starbucks was trying to make it so that 20 stores would have to vote where it was three that filed for election at the time. So, you know, it it was obviously an effort to spread the union organizing as thin as possible because the larger the bargaining unit, the uh, worse the 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 worse it's going to go for the union drive, because they don't have the same resources that the people of means over at Starbucks do, and that that was that was a pretty classic move. It's worth mentioning, by the way, which I don't know if we officially did at this point. The unionizing workers relying on the fact that Starbucks sees itself as a progressive, liberal, tolerant, hip modern, cutting edge, whatever the heck else you want to put in here, company, they relying on that, they said uh, they asked Starbucks to abide by a set of fair election proposals or principles, I think it was, uh, that would basically Starbucks would voluntarily give up some union busting tactics that are legal for some reason. The reason is the PRO Act didn't pass. And the reason for that is manifold. And we don't have time to get into it today. But it, it they basically asked Starbucks to not do any of this stuff. And Starbucks said no. Wonder why. It it's almost like progressivism. It, it, labor education policy, those those tend to be some real tells for what a company is actually like, no matter how many of the right noises they make.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, to quote from a an article on CommonDreams.org, after the workers filed to hold union elections, Starbucks closed several stores in the Buffalo area and increased staffing at the three stores in question, a common union-busting tactic known as packing workplaces, which corporations take to dilute union support. Former NLRB chair Wilma Liebman told the New York Times last month that the company's actions appeared to be, quote, part of an overall series of events that seems to create a tendency that people would be chilled or inhibited. You know, they're trying to at least create the sense among these workers that you're being watched and there could be consequences for your actions if you don't do what we at the company want, which, you know, is very much uh, towing the line of what the NORB rules allow. There is only so far you can go with that intimidation, but you can go pretty far, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, because as we are currently seeing with high-profile trials in two states at this point, um, it turns out that the letter of the law somehow is is only ever... The the book is only ever thrown at specific categories of people. Everyone else, and this includes a hell of a lot of white people and every rich person, basically, can can abide by the spirit instead. They can argue their way out of having to follow that you know they they can figure out which way they have it better it's it's also important to note increasing staffing but ryan i thought no one wants to work anymore how could they possibly find all these employees when no one is looking for work no one wants to work all those unemployment checks those fourteen hundred dollars that joe biden gave out and caused apparently runaway inflation no one wants to work how is it possible that they were able to find people are these robots they're robots aren't they
1: (laughs) I don't think they're robots, but uh, your point is taken, though I'd note that it was also noted that they closed down a few stores, though I think that was temporarily, so that wouldn't have had the long-lasting impacts on staffing. So, yeah, you're right, they are hiring new people and finding a way to do it, uh, presumably, so as to you know make the union a smaller portion of the workplace.
2: Yeah, it's dilution, which, again, should be an illegal tactic.
1: Just one more thing on on this topic of uh, sort of union busting and how the company's approach to it has gone. I'm quoting again from the Hamilton Nolan article in In These Times. Uh, Brian Murray, a Starbucks employee who is on the organizing committee, says that they believe that they are at or near majority support for the union at four or five stores. And at those stores, they expect to be filing for a union election soon. This article was written in August. Some of these stores have filed for union elections now. Uh, Quote, most of the workers I talked to are almost immediately on board, Murray says. Uh, He joined the union, the organizing effort two months ago and has been talking to his coworkers ever since. He Says that not only do organizers have to educate everyone on what a union is all about, they also face a latent level of fear among employees that they could be targeted for retaliation, particularly now that the union drive has gone public. Co-workers were saying, I'm scared. Can Starbucks do something to us? That broke my heart because that fear culture has already been cultivated, says Gianna Reeve, a ship supervisor who has been helping with the organizing effort. It really hurts. This is an opportunity that we can be stronger. To that extent, Starbucks' efforts, even before this union was gaining the publicity it had, before these executives were parachuting into Buffalo, was having the intended effect of making workers concerned about what would happen if they became supporters of the union.
2: And uh, they've been successful at making workers wonder whether they want the union, the article in, uh, there's an article on time that it's time magazine. So really the article is just like, if you're a business executive, here's why it doesn't matter whether the union vote goes against you because it really won't matter for X, Y, and Z reasons. And one of the things that they cite is they they interviewed a shift supervisor who went into one of these listening sessions or one-on-one meetings or whatever the heck they were, and basically came away with the idea that in union negotiations, you would have to give up things in exchange for the things we're negotiating on. So it doesn't seem like there would be any good outcomes. And I have to be honest, I know I'm the individualist and the moralist on most Punching Out episodes, but... I hear that from people and I want to shake them. Because, yeah, that is how negotiations work, that sometimes there has to be compromise. But there is a difference between negotiating by yourself for whatever scraps the company wants to give you, which is a situation that tons of us, and I'm pointing at myself and you can't see that, find ourselves in very recently. And there's negotiating as part of a union. And Starbucks knows this because they keep talking about how The union is an outside third party that would represent you in negotiations and you have to pay the union to represent you, which is a very interesting way to look at a group you're in. Like, you're not paying the union. You are the union. It's not the outside party. You're in it. You are one of the first parties here.
1: Yes, uh, all of that is true. Um... You know, it will be very familiar if you've um, listened to our episodes in the past about how these uh, so-called progressive companies are um, ditching their responsibilities when it comes to workers and finding uh, cutesy language to avoid uh, this topic of unionization when it comes up. Um, You know, this is a common tactic of saying, "Eh, the union, these are outsiders. You know, they aren't you. What? You're going to give them money. You're going to pay them dues. We've seen it at Delta. We've seen it, you know, any company that has had a unionized, a unionization effort has basically had these tactics in response from management. Um, What not every company has has had in response to unionization efforts is former presidential candidate Howard Schultz on its uh, board. Is he still the CEO or did he drop that when he ran for president?
2: Apparently he... It it says here he's no longer the chair or CEO, uh, which is interesting. Uh, he is chairman emeritus. Okay, which is interesting because that implies he deserves to be there.
3: Otherwise, he's you could also call him Papa Starbucks. It works for me. Why
2: would you want to? Is this a Papa know. John's joke?
3: Yeah, <laughs> not the, a good one.
2: The day of reckoning is coming. Howard Schultz,
1: uh, dropped by Buffalo recently oh my God. in an effort to, um, do what his other fellow executives, former fellow executives, I guess, um, had done in the past and make the case to these unionizing employees who make 1550 an hour, if that for why they shouldn't unionize. And it didn't go particularly well from all accounts, um, Schultz relied on a story that he has, turns out, um, used several times in the past, including at corporate speeches and corporate board meetings, making an analogy between Starbucks and uh, the Holocaust. Concentration camp prisoners during the Holocaust. Yes. Um,
2: and and the, to be clear, the prisoners are his employees. That would
1: seem to be how the analogy works. Yes. Uh, the exact comparison being made is um, to a story he had heard while, from a rabbi while visiting Israel, I believe is how he tells it, that uh, you know during the Holocaust, concentration camp, prisoners um, would be given one blanket for every six prisoners, and most of them, in Howard Schultz telling, would share the blanket with five other people, and quote, we have woven that thread into everything we do at Starbucks it is an astounding thing for somebody to say without any
2: hint of irony. You, you might almost say it's genius. Truly. I mean, this is the man. Let's remember, this is the man who said that we should refer to people like him as, and I quote, people of means during his presidential campaign. Like he has Howard has a way with words. I mean, you heard it right there. We have woven this thread throughout our history at Starbucks. We're we're looking to share our blanket. Like, come on. That's come on. That that yeah, man I, has some high puns per hour right there.
3: I don't think this guy is uh honestly gonna be blanket buddies with any of us. And and I, I feel it find it one a very stretched metaphor into um, not something like that's ever likely to happen with him. Like what didn't what know you said he's what worth 4 point something billion dollars.
2: I was going to say 4.9 billion dollars will buy you a lot of blankets to share, but yeah. yet somehow that's not really happening.
3: I want that, my thing. Schultz blankie. Frankly,
2: that's the thing. It's, it's like how, when we talked about the John Deere strike, we said, you know, The profits that they had made were enough that they could have given every worker $142,000 instead of just using that to buy back shares. Much the same way, if you want to know whether Starbucks truly considers its employees partners, here's a simple way to tell the guy who's not even officially with the company anymore is worth $4.9 billion. Like that's it. I I shouldn't have to say any more than that. Are you
1: suggesting all the partners are not worth four point nine billion dollars?
2: It seems like that's not equal. Yeah, the partners, they're they're not somehow they're not even they're not even getting. A it's an piece interesting of that. partnership. Yeah, yeah, very very uh, older younger sibling like really is ultimately what it is, but it it's. The analogy was disgusting on its face, but what did make it funny was that apparently afterwards Gianna Reeve, who was quoted in that, uh, in these times article asked them point blank, because by the way, they closed stores early, uh, Buffalo area stores. They closed them early and paid them to go to this thing, uh, the employees to, to hear the wisdom of Howard Schultz. And he obliged with, again, a bonkers analogy and at the end of that, Gianna Reeve asked him, will Starbucks abide by fair election principles? At which point Howard Schultz, like the coward he is, ran away. He was escorted out, is what I should say. He ran away. It won't surprise
1: you to learn that this weird Holocaust analogy was the only thing that was a bit off about Schultz's 45 minute speech to these workers. There's a quote in this Vice article that... um, the only thing I can do is quote the article directly. Um, He mentioned Starbucks is working on, quote, a completely new cold beverage station to make life easier because 50 to 60% of our customers are into cold brew, he said. Quote, we're investing ahead of the curve to make sure we get this right. The American dream? What does that mean? Is it still alive, given the backdrop of our politics and hatred on social media that exists, the loss of faith and confidence in what we stand for? the lack of civility among our politicians in Washington. I have great faith in the American people. We've been through worse as a country. We are going to navigate through this. We're going to come out on the other side. I promise that Starbucks is going to be one of the companies that people point to and say, they got it right. They got it right.
2: Well, that makes one of us, Howard. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Wow. Incredible how he seamlessly
1: transitioned into one of the presidential speeches he never got to make because his campaign lasted four months.
2: If, if he if he hadn't been escorted out, he was going to start telling stories about Satchel Paige.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, OK, Ho- Howard, um, buddy, uh, who killed the American dream? Because I would go so far to say it wasn't us you soul-sucking vampire, I would go so far to say that it is um, businesses like yours that have made us fight tooth and nail for bare crumbs that don't do anything to get us any kind of comfort in life. And the fact that we have to be looking towards businesses for their models and how we should how they should perform. And that's our dream. You are not a person. You are a fake bank account. That is all you are. That is your identity. And you are the reason we cannot have nice things. You monster. Thank you.
2: Of means. Monster of means.
1: Now, see, that just sounds a lot like the backtrack of our politics and the hatred on social media that exists to me.
3: I wonder why it's out there, Howard. One wonders it's really quite the mystery. Somebody should get a think tank on it, and they can tell us how actually it's because we have it too good and we don't struggle enough
2: don't don't Ugh. don't give him ideas. He already has one don't 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 make him start a second one
3: i This is the kind of stuff that is why it's so frustrating to exist. In life right now because there is as a millennial it's very hard to ever think of anything good ever happening again and we have these little things and then we're 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 lied to at every single opportunity and we're told actually no your lived experience it not isn't actually that starbucks is daddy it's great and i'm just so (laughs) tired of all of it and and i was thinking like with the, the unionization and all these uh, guys that are terrified to lose their jobs, like how depressing is that? To think that wanting something and, and, and striving to better your life is such a terrifying prospect that you're not willing to go through with it. That you have to live in, in fear of retaliation for wanting to join a union. We want to talk about democracy and we want to talk about freedom and fairness. Uh, my definition of democracy requires things to be fair. There is absolutely nothing fair about our workforce and how we run things and business cl- climate and culture at all in this country. And I am tired of it.
2: I, I know we got to we should just go to break, shouldn't we?
1: <laughs> I, I do have one more bit from Schultz here before we do. Uh,
2: then can I just get in really, really quickly? I just wanted to say one thing that Lou said in there that I, I, I am very glad that I read all the articles ahead of time because otherwise I would have been non-verbally angry. The level to which all of almost all of these articles—Hamilton, Nolan, and Common Dreams—being uh, more exceptions than the rest—but the level to which all of these articles did absolutely nothing to interrogate the flimsy, at best, justifications that Starbucks gave for all of this. That was, I mean, you're talking about New York Times. Time, I don't expect anything from them. But the New York Times and and other outlets doing absolutely nothing to point out the fact that these are lies. Absolutely no journalism was done. And the fact that that is happening in a high-profile union drive, if you want to know how we got here, there's part of it right there. Sorry, go ahead.
1: The Vice article wraps up with this quote from Howard Schultz, and I, I think it's how we'll uh, end our you know, segment here. Paul, you can walk out of here and say, great talk, a lot of passion. I didn't fly here for a great talk and some words that don't mean anything. He added, I came here because of my love of the company and my deep responsibility to the partners and their families. And I came here to tell you our story and where it came from. The projects of Brooklyn, the things we've done because we felt it was the right thing to do. No one forced us to do it. We're going to take a break here. When we (laughs) come back, we will talk about, um, you know, what unionization at Starbucks would mean, not just for a few stores in Buffalo, but for an entire industry, really. We'll be back.
3: You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Weyo. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. What's disgusting? And Lou. Hey, guys. We spent the first two segments talking about uh, this unionization effort that's underway at some Buffalo area Starbucks. And the efforts the company has t- undertaken to try and quash this unionization effort. Efforts that include, though we neglected to mention it in the last segment, using their emergency text service to send workers a three and a half minute video uh, You know, with anti-union claims on it on the same day as the start of the union election, which was earlier uh, this past week now as this episode airs.
2: And let's be clear, to do that is hella illegal.
1: What's illegal, really? Illegal is just like
2: your opinion, man. Yeah. What's the constitution (laughs) between friends? To quote the immortal John Ashcroft.
1: We want to use the last 10 minutes of this episode to talk about what it would mean for, broadly, the American working class if unions were able to get a foothold at Starbucks. A, you know, I used the term behemoth at the start of this episode that has so far resisted any and all attempts to unionize under its banner. The impact of this would not just be felt in Buffalo. It would not just be felt at Starbucks. It would mark... You know, one of the first occasions in which any fast food chain has seen workers unionize. Um, Just today, as we're recording this, there was some good news on this front that uh, workers at a chain called Burgerville in Oregon, workers at five locations there will uh, become the only fast food workforce in the U.S. to be covered by a union contract. Um, Negotiations have been going on between the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, and the company since 2018. And they've just now been able to reach an agreement between the two sides that is pretty remarkable. But Burgerville is a regional fast food chain and Starbucks is the place where Just about everybody outside of Boston and Canada gets their coffee.
2: Funny you mentioned Canada. That's where a Starbucks successfully unionized. I think earlier this year. But either way, more proof that this country is just uniquely terrible about these things. Lou, you talked about in the first segment how this is one place where Starbucks would be all too happy to be categorized as fast food because of, you know, the, the, the reputation that fast food places have. But conversely, that means that a win here is a big, one. it would enable union organizers. It would, it would give them something to point to. And in a year where we've had, you know, Amazon screw with a union election where we've had companies, uh, progressive company, well, quote unquote, 72 point air quote, progressive companies do everything in their power. To deny workers the right to organize, really, the unimpeded right to organize, which is what they deserve and are owed. Well, it'd uh, it it it'd be nice to close out with a win like this.
3: It really would. And part of the thing is we get so close to this kind of thing all the time. And, and, and there has been a lot more efforts to unionize and, and do good things in advance. Workers' rights, and that's that is ultimately a good thing. You know, it's it's not all doom and gloom all the time, uh, despite my earlier statements, because this would be really big. It really would, and that's why Howard Schultz and and his minions are trying so hard, albeit rather ineptly, to to squash it, because it really would mean something, and it would be a, an actual accomplishment that uh labor work labor activists have been working for.
2: And that I mean that that is precisely why Starbucks is fighting it as hard as they are. Just like Amazon before them, every single one of these fights is going to be invested this heavily because th- and here's the thing like these companies know that they can take advantage of a million loopholes after if the vote wins. They know that. But they also know that there is something unassailable about a union vote winning. It means that for once workers said no. And because our entire labor culture is just organized sadism, and it's just getting workers to bend the knee and say yes when everyone in the room knows they don't want to. If workers say no, loudly enough, that's going to cause some problems. Some heads might even roll fewer than should, but the coffee's going to taste a little more bitter over at headquarters. And uh, that that cold beverage station might suddenly find itself getting slowed down and things like that. And that cannot be allowed to happen. So this has to be fought with zeal and, and force and brooms for top executives.
1: There are some quotes near the end of this article in Time that I, I think really speak to sort of the sense that this could be a tipping point. A uh, quote from the article Activist employees in New York say they've built organizing bonds among coworkers that can withstand an anti-union campaign and that they're already hearing from colleagues around the country who want to support them or start organizing themselves despite management's efforts to dissuade them. They think three stores in Buffalo is bad. They're going to love the next year, said local shift supervisor Alexis Rizzo. Because of the interest that we've had is mind-blowing. Richard Bensinger, the Workers United Buffalo organizer, said he feels good about workers soon getting to vote. Quote, we don't have to win 100 stores, we have to win one, he said. If you can win one store, then I think the whole world will rally behind bargaining for a contract like people have never seen. Here's hoping that's true. Here's hoping that one win here that could really have shockwaves throughout not just this industry, but the country.
2: There are worlds in which companies like Starbucks and Amazon would kind of figure out that it would be easier to handle this um, by accepting the union as part of work culture, because there are a million ways to undermine one. There are a million ways to get around one. It's not like labor law in this country at all favors the worker, period. So actually accepting the union is basically nothing. And we'll know that in a year when, you know, a lot of these other strikes and whatnot, we're going to see that shake out if workers fall back asleep after being activated by the pandemic. But instead, these companies are opting for the break approach. They're opting for a brittle approach that means if anywhere breaks because they are spread, they're fighting these efforts tooth and nail. And the result of that is that everything becomes precarious. If anywhere breaks, if anywhere along the line, one of these companies fails to hold, it feels like that's going to be everything. The game will be up. And I don't think that's true. I don't think even in their wildest dreams, labor organizers think that's true. But I do know that this country hates nothing more than defeat and loves nothing more than victory. And if union organizers can say, we unionized a Starbucks, that's something they can build on. That's something that gives them plucky underdog status. And Americans, despite being in, living in the global hegemon, love that idea of being David. So these corporations cannot allow that to happen. They can't give David the slingshot. They can't let him get to the battlefield. Because if that stone goes into that head, and boy, this metaphor is getting real uh, involved here. It's getting spun around a lot. That might be it. They opted for this approach. They made this bed. The hope now is that these workers can make them lie in it.
1: I think that's all very well put, even if it got weirdly biblical in the <laughs> middle there. If you're curious, the election at these three stores in Buffalo ends December 10th. So at that point we will have at least preliminary results though, as we've seen in union elections elsewhere in recent memory, That doesn't always mean it's the end of the story, win or lose. All we can do here on Punching Out is issue our solidarity to the workers in Buffalo and hope for the best. For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this is Punching Out.
0: You've been listening to Punching Out.